Aloha, I'm Anne Keala Kelly, and welcome to The Native Truth, the podcast where all we do is speak the decolonized, deoccupied, unapologetic truth that is the First Peoples, First Nations, Indigenous reality. So, if you care about the survival of Native peoples, if you care about justice, if Mother Earth matters to you, then you're in the right place. This week, my guest is Heilani Sonodapale. She's one of the most dedicated Kanaka around. She's a grassroots organizer and outspoken advocate. And in 2015, she started the Kalahui Hawaii Political Action Committee. Through that committee, she has tracked state legislation directed at Native Hawaiians, including legislative attempts to criminalize Hawaiian cultural practices associated with Mauna Kea and other sacred sites. Hale Lenny will discuss that issue, the recent Waimanalu protests to stop a redevelopment project there that threatens a Native Hawaiian cultural and sacred site, and the upcoming Aloha Aina March in Honolulu this weekend, which is expected to draw at least 10,000 people. Then Lamaku Mikahala Roy brings us a Ho'ailona report inspired by the heartbreaking stranding of what are called pygmy killer whales on Maui in recent weeks. And we have a Kupuna Talk story segment with Maimakuehine, Helene Malulani Kelly. This week, she talks about her experience of seeing the Ku'e petitions on display at the Bishop Museum. But first, a few Native news headlines. Vanuatu's Prime Minister Charlotte Solway Tabimasmas spoke at the United Nations about the human rights violations of indigenous West Papuans. Indonesia has deployed 6,000 troops to West Papua, some of which opened fire last week at an anti-racism rally in Wamena. The rally was attended mainly by high school students who fought back with rocks and arrows. Between 30 and 40 people are believed to have been killed, though it's difficult to determine exact numbers and details because the Indonesian government has interrupted internet and telephone service. Benny Wenda, the exiled chairman of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, was part of the Vanuatu delegation to the United Nations. And during a meeting with Secretary General Antonio Guterres, he urged Guterres to send a UN High Commissioner to visit West Papua. In northeastern Australia, the Queensland government unceremoniously extinguished Aboriginal title to 1,385 hectares to make way for the Carmichael coal mine, which will be operated by Adani Coal, a subsidiary of the multinational conglomerate Adani Group. Headquartered in Ahmedabad, Gujarat, India, Adani Group will receive billions in subsidies from the Australian government. Located off the coast of Queensland is the Great Barrier Reef. Scientists and activists have long opposed the mining project because over the 30-year course of its planned operation, the facility will release an estimated 4.7 billion tons of carbon pollution. The mine will also expand the industrial port along the coastline and require the dredging of over a million cubic meters of seafloor, which will destroy habitats for many species, including dolphins and turtles. And in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California, Native American students staged a quiet but articulate protest in front of the USC School of Cinematic Arts, holding a banner that read, quote, SCA must remove the John Wayne exhibit. Wayne is a blatant racist. He promotes the genocide of indigenous American peoples. By keeping Wayne's legacy alive, SCA is endorsing white supremacy, unquote. Wayne appeared in more than 70 films and was a cinematic icon, but in addition to being an icon, he was also a white supremacist. 
Though not widely publicized, in recent years, a 1971 Playboy interview given by the Duke, which is what his friends called him, has circulated on the internet. In it, he proclaimed his belief in white supremacy, how he did not believe black people deserved any power. And he had this to say about Native Americans, quote, I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from the Indians. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves, unquote. Up next, my conversation with Hayalani Sonoropale. Aloha, Hayalani. Welcome to the Native Truth. Aloha, Kiala. Thank you for having me. It's good to take a few minutes and get an update from you because you're over on Oahu. But Hayalani, I know that you have been involved since July with the standoff at Pu'uhuluhulu. So before we talk about the goings-on on Oahu, tell us how you got involved with the camp and how that came about for you. Well, primarily, I'm with the Kalahui Hawaii Political Action Committee. So we've been monitoring legislation for the past few years that have been introduced into the House and the Senate here in the in Hawaii, and looking at bills that have any kind of effect, either adversely or positively, on Mauna Kea. Now, most bills have targeted Native Hawaiians, have targeted Kanaka Maui, and we have actually been very successful in killing a lot of these bills. When you so, say that, though, how have you been successful? What has been the process of shutting them down? Well, we've been working with the Mauna Kea Hui, which has been the Hui that has been doing the litigation and protecting the Mauna on various levels, grassroots, in court, educating. And so we've been working and building networks in the past few years, trying to stop these bills. These bills, some of them have been very... Uh, have targeted Kanaka Maoli in terms of criminalizing any kind of effort that they would make going to the Mauna to pray or to worship. They've attempted to criminalize cultural practice, basically. Yes, yeah, basically, yeah. So a lot of these bills were like that. And so we were able to do that. Um, there were some bills that were kind of sly, you know, there, there were um, um, ways where they were trying to extend the lease without, you know, going through the DLNR or the, the, the proper process. Um, all, there were just all kinds of Mauna Kea bills. Bills that were trying to extend the lease, criminalize Kanaka Maoli going to the Mauna. Bills that were basically trying to send us to jail for minimal charges. Uh, one of them was really bad. It was like, if, you, if you're found trespassing on state land, and all state land in Hawaii is Kanaka Maoli land, it's all stolen. If you're found trespassing, uh, you could actually go to jail for 60 days and get this huge fine of $5,000. So there was all kinds of um, attempts by the state the last few years at the ledge to make it harder for Kanaka Maoli to go up to the Mauna to pray, to practice, to do what we need to do as Kanaka Maoli on our sacred Mauna. And so when July came and the call came to go to the Mauna, we went up. We didn't know how many people would show up, and it was just totally amazing, the response of the first week. And I think from that first week on, it's just been ongoing. As someone who lives here on Oahu um, and ha- having to travel up all the time, I actually found, it, found that I'm more useful here on Oahu because of, uh, you know, because of my contacts here and because I have been organizing and networking here on this island. So, well, I know uh, that, we, like, I've seen a lot of your stuff that you put on Facebook, but the last one that really blew my mind was I think I was watching it live on Facebook. Whenever the governor calls a press conference, 
for the Mauna, it's always very last minute. We don't get any kind of um, notice. And so we're in kind of rushing down there to figure out what's happening. The one that happened a couple weeks ago, when he did a press conference, we were thinking that this was going to be another, we're going in to arrest the Kia'i, the thousands of Kia'i that are on Mauna Kea. And we were very concerned, but it ended up being um, basically part of his campaign to demonize people who want to protect the Mauna. It was actually trying to sway public opinion. Public opinion has actually... It's shifting. Eight, I mean, we were told over and over, the majority of Kanakamali, according to their poll, scientific poll, which, you know, I really have doubts about too, um, that the majority of Kanakamali support the TNT. Now they did a poll, another scientific poll, <laughs> and that poll shows that the majority of Kanakamali actually are supporting the Kia'i on the Mauna and supporting Mauna Kea. What do you, what do you uh, think yeah. changed? Because, I mean, what could it possibly have changed in such a short amount of time? I just think that the way the governor handled um, the situation coming up, and I, I just really aloha and give a lot of credit to so many hundreds of people, thousands, who have been organizing, have been educating, have been very maka'ala, have been very um, aware of what, of all different fronts where we have to be, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're at the University of Hawaii, which is the, the entity that has the permit that's allowing TMP to be built. We're at the um, governor's office. We're at the ledge. We're at the DLNR. We're all over the place. And, and education has not stopped. So in the past four or five years, since the last big event, um, the last uh, attempt, to build the TMT, five years have passed, and it's been, and we haven't been idle. What's the, what's the most consistent thing happening on Oahu for the Mauna? Sign waving, mm-hmm. and uh, we have all kinds of events. Every single week, we have events that keep the momentum up, where we have opportunities as Kanaka Maoli that support the Mauna to show our support for the Mauna just had an event last night. Lana Kila came down uh, from the Mauna. He's one of the main Kia'i on the Mauna. And he spoke to a crowd about 400 in a Hawaiian homestead community in Popokolea. It was beautiful. I mean, and he's been going around every night, kind of building up for our march that's happening on Saturday. Also, I have to say this about Lana Kila, though. I've noticed this. Every time he shows up somewhere, he's teaching everyone that chant and that dance for the Mauna. Like you see like 400 people doing it every time, every time I see them online. Oh, it's amazing. You have the popular community now, not hundreds, kids, kupuna, parents, all of them dancing together for the Mauna. This is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. What's happening in Hawaii with Kanaka Maui and our movement. And we have the Mauna to thank for that. The Mauna has been the unifying force and it's the principles of Kapu Aloha that has really held us together. Now we have a situation in Waimanalo. 
So can you give people a sense of A, why that's happening and B, what it looks like and feels like there? How is it similar or different from, from the camp at Pu'uhuluhulu? Waimanalo, this has been ongoing for months before the, the, the latest attempt to stop TMT from being built that started in July, where people started occupying Mauna This has been going on for like four or five months, and they have been trying to protect a piece of aina on the beachfront, which is one of the oldest archaeological sites in Hawaii, probably the oldest. It has the oldest dating. And so it's been a big controversy for months, but the Mauna has raised the political consciousness of these people, of these Kanaka Maoli, these community members, to a point where now they're organizing in a way that is very similar to what's happening on the Mauna. It's almost like a microcosm of the Mauna, and they're using the same techniques and organizing the same way that Mauna people are. Last week, when they attempted to stop the bulldozer from coming in, they used Kapu Aloha. They sat down, um, did not yell. They had righteous anger, but it was none of the blame is put on anyone personally. It's opened people's eyes to the idea that we're living in a Hawaii where the state is very oppressive to Kanaka Maoli. Even people who before have never been politicized, they can understand that. They can see that. It's so real now because there is an ongoing occupation of Kanaka Maoli land for months. And that in itself is so radical. If you think about it, it's probably the most radical things, thing we could do as, as a people is actually occupy our own land that has been stolen from us. But I think everybody understands it's the state of Hawaii as the agent of the United States of America that is um, oppressing us as a people. We have awakened that this is our aina, this is our land. Um, we have awakened to a point where we understand that it's not about that police officer standing in front of you with a gun. It's about who's paying him and who he's trying to protect. It's like somebody shook us and awoke us and we're being politicized to a point where we, un we can understand. We can see the bigger picture. If you think about it, there's, there is an ongoing occupation of land, of our land, without any, we don't, we don't have, it's unsanctioned by the state, by any government entity, and it's all coming from the Lahui, from the Hawaiian nation, from the people, and that's what's amazing about this whole situation. Talk to us about what's coming up this weekend with the march. So this Saturday is our march for Malakia. And it's a culmination of many of the smaller events that have gone on. It's still about showing the power of the people coming together in Kapua Aloha. And it's an educational event. And it's also about, you know, of course, raising the consciousness, bringing our people together, giving opportunities for our people to come together. And it's also to keep the momentum going. And it's to show solidarity in support of the Mauna. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the work you're doing or how can they get in touch with you about Kalahui or about the march? How can they get information? So they can go to Kalahui Hawaii Political Action Committee.org or they can email me at klh 
Political Action Committee at gmail.com. So we had, we do have a website, Kalahui Political Action Committee, and uh, you can contact me via the website or um, just look at what's happening on there. We are uh, excited for this Saturday, and we are expecting an unprecedented number of people attending. Well, I wish I could be there. I'm, I'm on Big Island, but I'll, I'll be watching it online and in solidarity with you guys. Mahalo for being on the show today, Heolani, and for everything you do for the Lahui. Mahalo for having me, Shala. And now, Lamaku Mikahalo Roy brings us the Ho'ailona Report. Warm greetings to you. A whale beached itself upon the shoreline at Pololu Valley of Hawaii Island. Akua and the ancestors speak by the coming of this great sperm whale from the depths of the sea, water that brings the wisdom of the Creator by the wisdom of the Kupuna ancestors. Where the animal passes and spirit places him is important. And this kohola laid upon the Pololu Trail, extending into the sea. The whale died for the purpose of saving the wildlife of the oceans. He died because of the effect of the sonar beams now used by the military. These practices are affecting all wildlife in the oceans. The whale died because it brings a message to Kanaka Oivi, first people of Hawaii and the Pacific. Stay on the trail of the ancestors. King Kamehameha speaks to us. Do not give the lands away. The whale is in two parts. The two parts tell of the two divisions we as people find ourselves in. Some no longer believe in or know the goodness of our Oivi way of life. Their hearts are no longer open to our people's first teachings. Many believe in Christianity over the first faith of Kanaka Oivi. The God of the Christians is the God of our ancestors. Akua of Christians is Akua of Kanaka Oivi. The only difference is that Oivi are healing from colonization. They are learning the fullness of who they are. The trail is one. Oivi are divided. Kanaka Oivi come together as one now. Do not let colonization divide us. It is our trail these are our ancestors. For the native truth, I'm Lamakumi Kahalaroi, Kahu of Ahuenaheyau, Kamakohonu, Hawaii. Next, in our Kupuna Talk story segment, Helene Malulani Kelly. I wanted to talk about the Kuei petition, your experience of seeing it for the first time, is because yesterday was the 122nd anniversary of the end of the collection of the signatures. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So tell me about the time that you went to the Bishop Museum and you saw the Kuei petitions on display. Well, let me tell you first where I first heard of them was on the news. And I was in Kona with my mom. And so when I went, when I came back to Oahu, I made it a point to go down and see the signatures. I took the bus and I went by myself. And I looked for the 
building that it was in, somebody pointed me in the direction. And uh, I remember walking down the walk through this little uh, white building. It had a little, it has a little curved curve in it, and it's open on both sides. And so I walked in there, and I was all alone. And um, I stopped at the entrance because it was so, it was an immediate overwhelming feeling to to, to, to see all these uh, petitions up on the walls. Both sides of the building, the walls were covered from from the ceiling to the floor, almost to the floor. And there were the names of uh, each island over the petitions that came from that island. And I walked around it and I looked a little bit and I looked at all the island's names and all the names of these people. There was mana in that place. I mean, there was mana in that place. Mm. So I so I went back to the uh, the beginning of to the entrance where I came in from where the Hawaii petitions were, and um, I looked for for Kona, for Kalia, and it was down towards the bottom of the, it was on the lowest row of the, of the petitions. So I crouched down and I looked at it and I, I found all my family in it. it um, even today, it's overwhelming to, to, to even think about it. And I looked at all the signatures. It was unbelievable. So you saw, you recognized the names. I certainly did. I saw my tutu's name wasn't there. They were probably up, up the mountain at the tarot patch. Um, there was my tutu man's mother and his two aunties and his cousins and a lot of other uh, people that we all call tutus and aunties, you know, when growing up. Uh, I had so many tutus, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> I, we, uh, my mother, I must have been in a fourth grade when my mother asked us, how many grandparents do you have? And we started counting, and we had eight, nine, ten, whatever. And she said, no, you only have four grandparents. That was all. was all I there. <laughs> well, explain to me who's on there. My tutu man's mother was on there. Kaluli was on there and her two sisters, Kapule and uh, Pauluhi, and their mother, you know, the three girls and their mother. So you're thinking maybe tutu, your tutu man and your tutu lady, they were Malka when the petitions were... Yes. Oh, they would have signed. Well, they're probably part of that 5% that didn't sign, you know, because it was 95% of the Hawaiian population signed those petitions in three yeah. weeks. I don't know how they could have found every single Hawaiian. You know what I'm saying? That's why I said I think they were, were Mauka at the um, tarot patch. But for you personally, I know the last time we talked for the podcast, you talked about how that time when you were at Ho'okana school, everybody was being Americanized. So when you saw the petitions, how did you feel? You know... I don't know how to explain that except to say that 
uh, it's like I had crossed over an unseen line. And then when I got on the on that side, and I couldn't get back on this side. That's, that's, I, I couldn't find the line anymore. I don't know how else to explain it. There's lots of emotions invo involved here. Uh, surprise. And you're thinking, uh, you, you've been taught this, and you find out it's not that, but it's something else. And I wondered why my country betrayed me like it did by not telling me the truth. And I was um, when I say my country, I mean America. I've come a long ways from that because I, I know now America is not my country. At that time, I thought it was. And it, it, and it, it had betrayed me. There's a lot of emotions over the years. And today, I am what I am. What is that? Well, I know I'm not American, and I certainly don't trust what they say. I look at it like this. My mom and dad, they were born wards. They died wards. I'm born a ward, and I don't want to die one, but I think I will. We are not American. We are not American. We are not American. We will die as Hawaiians. We will never be Americans. Today is Haunani K. Trask's 70th birthday, and that was just 20 seconds from a speech she gave in 1993. It was right after 20,000 Hawaiians marched in Honolulu, commemorating the 100th anniversary of the U.S. overthrow of Queen Liliuokalani's government, which led to the U.S. takeover in 1898. The music playing in the background is Pale K. Lua and David K. Kaili's 1914 recording, appropriately entitled Honolulu March. 122 years ago this week, on October 2nd, 1897, the Kuei petitions against the annexation of Hawaii to the U.S. were completed. 95% of the Hawaiian population said no to becoming American. And because of that, the U.S. Congress was unable to pass a treaty of annexation which is why Hawaiians rightly refer to Hawaii as an illegally occupied nation state, not the 50th state. As Hawaiians march in the streets of Honolulu this weekend, Aloha Aina warriors one and all, we do that because protecting Mauna Kea is our kuleana, and because Mauna Kea is part of the crown and government land of the Hawaiian kingdom. Hawaiians didn't agree to become American. America forced itself on our kupuna against their will our leaders have a long history of resisting the American empire. And these days, we see the proof of that tradition all around us. I close this week's show with an edited version of a speech Haunani K gave at Iolani Palace in 1982. It's about ending the bombing of Koho'olawe. The desecration of Mauna Kea is the same thing. Desecration is to our culture what bombs are to our aina. So we march, we speak out, we protest, we occupy our lands, to end our own erasure as a people. We are not the host culture. That is a slogan made up by the tourism industry. We aren't hosting anyone. We are Oivi. We are the first people of Hawaii. As always, mahalo nui to Teokis and Ghost Horse for kindly sharing his song, Prayer, to Lamaku Mikahalo Roy for the Ho'ailona Report, and to my makuahine, Helene Malulani Kelly, for another Kupuna Talk story. And special mahalo to my guest, grassroots organizer, Kanaka Maoli leader, 
Heilani Sunodapale. Please remember, if you want to hear more podcasts like this one, make a donation at thenativetruth.com or annkaylakelly.com because it takes more than passion to produce the show. It takes time, labor, and resources. Everyone be safe out there at the Aloha Aina March. I'm Ann Kayla Kelly for The Native Truth. Ahuiho, malama pono. Until the last Aloha Aina. When I came into the Ohana, Ohana meetings were very small because we had lost our leadership. George and Kimo were gone, and Walter and Richard had been in jail. And at that time, it looked as if we were fragmented and we didn't have anything to organize around. The year and a half of occupations had taken a tremendous toll on the Ohana. People went to jail. They paid for their aloha for the island. And once we lost our leadership, coupled with that psychological toll, everything seemed to come to a standstill. And yet, I learned from the people who kept on working, who kept on striving, that at that time, when movements are down, when people are down, that is the time that the true Ohana principle comes out. That's the time that you really have to work hard because nobody's there, the cameras aren't there, the press isn't there, the public is looking at you and saying, wow, those guys don't know what they're doing. And it was only one year later, it was only in 1979, after working very hard, putting the statewide Ohana back together again, that we went back into court and we got legal access. And legal access cannot be overemphasized, I don't think, because that means all the people of Hawaii who want to go to Kaho'olawe can go there. That's what it means. It means that we can touch that aina. That's what George and Kimo paid for with their lives. Politically speaking, what that means is if you get out there and work, even though it looks really bad, you will make headway. The Ohana got started in 1976. This is 1982. Look at our victories. National Historic Site status. The Navy's cleaned up at least one-third of the island. They surveyed the historic sites. But more importantly, we entered the public consciousness. We said to the people of Hawaii, Kaho'olawe is important, and it's important for cultural reasons. Kaho'olawe is important because it belongs to the Hawaiian people. It's an example of the way we want to exist with our environment. That's why we have been so successful, because we say something that finds meaning for all the rest of the people of Hawaii. We, we are an alternative to Waikiki. We are an alternative to Kavakiu. We are an alternative to what happened in Ka'anapali. We present the alternative. Leadership in the Ohana carries on, it continues. When I came into the Ohana, Pua wasn't in it. When I moved out of the Ohana to do some work up at the university, Pua came in. That's how you do it, you, you rotate your leaders, especially the young ones, especially the, the people who are now teenagers. In five years, they're gonna be the next people carrying on because they have the energy. And we're in the background telling them, this is our experience. This is where we came from. This is how we got where we are now. Leadership is very important, and you have to continue it. You have to respect it, and you have to continue it. If the Ohana had stopped after we lost Brother George and Brother Kimo, it would have been a terrible sacrifice for nothing. But we didn't stop. And that's, 
That's the message. You don't stop, you keep going. You keep going until they stop the bombing completely. And that's what we're really here to remember. To remember two people who really gave their lives to say something very important. Aloha Aina is important to the extent that we will give our lives.